Welcome to episode 36 of Inside the Table, a tabletop RPG talk show, a show in which we talk about the craft of tabletop role-playing games. My name is Marley, you can find me at minor underscore Lenahan and on the various social medias at linktr.ee slash minor underscore Lenahan, and my pronouns are he, him. And joining me today is my co-host. Hello, my name is Ice Cold Brew, my pronouns are he, him, they, them, and uh, you can find me at Link Turn, or you can find me at Ice Cold Brew. I almost completely messed up the entire thing. You kind of went around again. Your name is Cole. I think last time you forgot to introduce yourself as Cole. There, it's in uh, the middle of Ice Cold Brew. You could probably figure it out. But yeah, Link Ee slash Ice Cold Brew. Yeah, there we go. I, my, <laughs> my brain is. Listen, y'all. We record on Mondays, and Mondays yes. are like the days when brain go by and mm-hmm. i shut down entirely and then i come home at six o'clock and i pet my cat for about 30 minutes and we get on and record after talking for about 15 minutes so my brain can start up again yeah so then you're also answering questions about your wedding and about your suit and about all that other stuff yeah who knows and... maybe i'll be at the end of the episode i'll never tell you'll, you'll find <laughs> out you'll find out okay. at the end and of I... the episode and i contrastingly this is my tuesday morning and so i i'm i'm up I'm like figuring things out. I thankfully record slightly later in the morning. We used to record an hour earlier and that was that was that was very tiring for me. But yeah, we were we were both waking up. Life is hard. Life um, do be hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh today we are talking about tabletop RPG mechanics and video games and the intersection of both. But first, we have a Patreon. We have a really cool Patreon. It's such a cool Patreon. We have we have a bunch of fun little things, such as if you would like to join a very special Discord where we talk about stuff, then you can join this Patreon. Um, uh, we also have a, a fun behind the scenes podcast. Um, I think last last month we talked about, um, uh, last week we talked about uh, the behind the scenes of making a podcast. Uh, we also had like a one-off episode of a watchcast of One Piece in which I watched one episode of One Piece and talked about it. Um, and we also talked about like Cole's history of of being ice cold brew and making drinks and about how the experience of working in the hospitality industry has sort of like changed like work ethic and about histories about like making things and how this sort of all feeds in together. So if you'd like to have a listen to that, you can join our Patreon. Um, the levels are Next Table Over, which is $2.99, in which you can listen to those podcasts. Uh, again, there's three of them up right now that you can go and listen to. I will say, Patreon Mobile has changed how they listen to Discords, uh, how they listen to podcasts, sorry. And it's the most annoying thing. Like, you can't download the file and listen to it on your podcast uh, app of choice. You have to listen to it on, on, the, pod, on the Patreon app. And it fucking annoys the hell out of me mm-hmm. because like if you press back when you're listening to it on your phone, it jumps back to the beginning. It doesn't jump back five, uh, 15 seconds unless you open up the app and then tap the 15 seconds back. It's frustrating as hell. But if you would like to have that experience with one of our podcasts, you can join Next Table Over at uh, $2.99. Uh, next one is The Seat of the Table, which is where you can join our Discord that I mentioned before. Um, and you can vote on Patreon. Uh, patreon stuff that is true but also podcast stuff like usually we have a once a month little um little poll where people can vote on what sort of topic 
uh we're going to talk about that month i this is one of the fun moments where i realize we haven't done that this month yet and it's already <laughs> the 14th we will yeah. do that shortly maybe we'll talk about it after we finish recording today we'll figure it out so for four dollars 99 uh cents you can void a uh, void you can vote on that uh you can join the discord you can void and vote void and vote it's important to void everyone uh if you're in brooklyn i don't know what that accent was anyway and then if you want to go real real big supporter time you can join the vip table where for 40 no for 49 dollars 99 you can get your name shouted out on the podcast um very funny no one's done that yet but when you do we will say your name or any name you choose spice it up a little bit be be creative so again with any of those uh patreon tiers you get you get everything below it so if you get the vip table you also get discord access amazing and and you also get the bonus podcast and so be sure to check that out there that's patreon.com slash inside the table i don't have to ask uh, uh cole what this is because cole has very helpfully wrote the very easy to find link <laughs> so that is there if you'd like to if you'd like to check that out and we're, we're just going to jump over to a new segment which cole added just as i started reading out the patreon thing and it made me laugh a little bit which is the latest news which is the strike is over we can talk about shows and movies again it has been so long the 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 wga has a has a has a contract with with the the baddies <laughs> what are they called and so yeah. does so does uh sag afro uh, both of these companies uh both of these unions have basically made an agreement for uh to protect them against various you know shitty things like ai and stuff like that and so the recommendation for podcasters and content makers galore uh to not talk about media while this strike is ongoing that has been lifted and so we can talk about the tv shows and stuff again which is amazing because it's been months of just me being like what other things do i like and just being like i guess i like video games i read books occasionally but but it's it's great we can talk about tv shows and movies again i'm so excited so i guess do, do, is there a show you'd like to talk about cole fuck there are so many for the last six months fuck there are so many <laughs> i know yeah i joke that we can make that the main topic but i'm like we're a tabletop rpg podcast we probably shouldn't do that let's do this let's chat about some shows we've seen shows and movies we've seen because like okay there's the barbie movie that was going yes uh, 100 strike that that film's sick. You should watch all of all of Greta Gerwig's stuff. It's incredible. I watched that. Fuck, it was so months. surreal, and I loved every yes. minute of it. Oh, so yeah. Like I'm not gonna lie. During the movie, I was like, ah, I like this pretty well. You know, I wasn't too hyped about. It. Thinking back on it more and more, no, that was very very good. I loved everything. It was like, what the fuck was going on with it? It had so many weird things happening into it, like really high concept strange like magical weird stuff that's happening that isn't like you don't really find it anything else like like it's barbie became a person at the end what happened i don't know but i'm like that's incredible i love that god what what's the name of the fu- uh game we talked about forever ago fathom it fathom yeah it's a fathom it felt like fathom and I, yeah the more i realized that the more hyped i got <laughs> yeah which is very funny now that i think about it even more but yeah, yeah. Uh, the Barbie movie is great. I watched Fiona and Cake, which is a sequel oh, yeah. to the Cartoon Network show uh, Adventure Time, which is also a show I binged as well after I watched Fiona and Cake. Yo, Fiona and Cake is depressing and about growth. Really? And like, 
I'm going to send you a song to listen to after the podcast, but I'm going to let the uh, fans know, the listeners know um, what song this is. And if they've seen Fiona and Cake, they will know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, Adventure Time. Uh, Not Myself uh, featuring Zuzu. It is... Do you use Spotify out of curiosity? No. Okay. No, I do not. I'm a Google... No, I'm a YouTube music person because okay, I'll find I already have a YouTube... Now. but yeah it is such a it's the opening is so depressing and such and like but the music itself the uh, show itself is absolutely delightful in so many different ways and that was a lot of fun to watch i will say i'm a huge fan of adventures uh adventure time not adventure zone adventure time always get this two mixed up and like I, I have spent so much time listening to uh, the Marceline, it's just you and me in the records of the world. God, yeah, that, no. like the sad Ice King song, and like the "What Am I to You" and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I, I didn't even know that this was released, this Fiona and Cake show. And so this is like I'm learning. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Striker, for being over. I've learned this show is out now. Yeah, it's very nice, and it t- caps off a lot of thing. Uh, uh. I'm not going to say everything from the Adventure Time show, but it caps off a lot mm. of things from the show and like puts up a lot of answers to certain questions. There is something very fascinating about the original voice actor for one of the big characters. So one of the original... Wait, is this Donald Glover? Because Donald Glover plays the Marceline. Ma- no. Marshall, Marshall Lee? No, they got all those ca- uh, voices back. The only one of the oh, big great. ones they didn't get was Kumon uh, uh, Najiani. Who plays okay. a? I'm not going to spoil it too too much, but plays like a very important character in the show and becomes a very important character in this one. His agency denied the call from a uh, oh, Frederator and didn't give him the job. And he's like, "What the fuck? I would have happily taken that job back." <gasps> I know this character. I yeah. had no idea that was him. Yeah, he oh, was fuck. never informed about it, and so. That sucks. That's such a shame. It's such a shame. It's now the person who plays uh, that character now in Fiona and Cake is Sean Rohani. And it works out very well. It makes that character sound more tired, which is kind of the theme of the <laughs> opening of the show. show. Got to uh, watch that. I have one. I have one. Oh, go for it. Go for it. I have I, so Interview with a Vampire came out last year. So you're, I don't know. You weren't allowed to talk about it. But there's a show that came out a couple of weeks ago, and it's like the show I got Netflix for, which is a show called uh, Blue Eye Samurai. Do you know about this one yet? I have. I've heard about it. I have yet to watch it. It is the my favorite show of the year. It is great. It is about um, a samurai who has blue eyes because like, it's set in a time of um, Japanese... What's it called? Uh... Basically, they close the border to all foreigners. And so at a time when there's only four uh, Europeans in the whole of, of Japan, this one uh, uh, child is born with blue eyes and is, is immediately like criminalized. And if anyone sees uh, sees them, they will basically like arrest them or, or kill them or something like that. It's like really strict, you know, nationalization, strange laws and and stuff like that. Um, and it's great because it sort of explores a number of characters who are not the typical like characters you would see in like a sort of a samurai thing that they're like, you know, there's, there's people with disabilities, there is uh, women, 
are like sort of focused on in a very prominent way. And it's great because like I I, I watched a let's play of uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which is is all about how you know it's 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 a weird one. It's kind of like it's all about honor and about how samurai save everybody and it's it's a cool game and it's very relaxing it's a nice open world game but it's all about the honor stuff and this show really like takes a moment to be like all right who are the people who are really interested in honor and there are people in this show that are really interested in honor and about like stuff like that but a lot of these people are kind of just like idiots (laughs) in a lot of ways or like very very nationalistic in a really negative way and it has like characters who are not interested in this and who are interested in different perspectives of this. And it's really great. It's like one of these samurai things that I just watch. I'm just like, oh, they've really gone into the history of this shit and have really like thought about like what everyone's perspective is on all this sort of stuff. And like it's, you know, it's it's talking about like what it is like as a, you know, a mixed race person and like how you sort of like exist sort of at neither end. And it's got like some incredible uh uh, uh um, Asian American like actors like Randall Park is in there as like one of my absolute favorite characters ever just this weird diplomat and it's just I love it so I would 100% recommend that and it's just anime it's animated I haven't said that but but it's fucking beautiful the, f- the first episode is available on YouTube <laughs> and so you don't have to get Netflix I got it like I got Netflix really quickly because i just wanted to see it immediately after seeing that episode mm-hmm. and it's good the rest of netflix is not very good i don't enjoy it i find that i'm just watching shows i've already seen yeah until my month is up speaking of shows i've already seen they also put on yeah. a across the spider verse onto netflix oh is it yeah oh wait you're american that's how that works. Uh, on the american one yeah you're right you're right you're right but it's on there ppn yeah probably gonna end up watching that again uh, i'm trying to think what else i've been watching that's on Netflix. Invincible season two is up now as yes. well. Yes, the violent show that I'm scared of. Uh, it, to be fair, that's <laughs> rightfully scared. It's kind of terrifying, yeah. and I yeah. I enjoy it, but also I'm like, oh god, oh I guess the One Piece anime kind of counts. One Piece TV show. T- uh, TV show. Yes, yes, yes. The TV show. Yeah, the live action one came out, yeah. and you can you can talk about that, and I'll just zone out for a few minutes. I I <laughs> haven't finished it yet because Holly and I have wanted to watch it together. So I've been like, okay. And then we haven't watched it in a while. I've heard it's really good. I've heard like it's like it's broken, you know, how everyone says there's a video game curse or whatever. Like there's also a Netflix anime adaptation curse and apparently it's broken that. Yeah. So that's positive. Oh, have you watched Scavenger's Reign at all? No, I don't like the art style. Oh, fascinating. It's, yeah, it's like an interesting mix of, 2d 3d kind of i've i've seen it and it looks good it like seems like it has annihilation vibes and i yeah. i haven't seen annihilation but i like the vibes of that so maybe i'll check it out and see how i go but i just look at it and it makes me think of mobius which is the the french artist and not the vampire i was gonna say wait the vampire movie no there's like mobius is like this french artist who inspired like uh, inspired and probably worked on the fifth element and i I, I like the fifth element, but I don't like the guy's art style. And so every time I see it, I'm just like, yeah, it's just kind of gross. I don't really like it. But I've heard people say it's really good. Have you seen that one? Is it good? Do you recommend it? I'm not going to lie. So I have a bit of a curse whenever I watch TV yeah. in my living room. I have okay. a one of these like nice fold-out couches. And anytime I like just sit in the couch normally, I'll end up laying down. And when I lay down, 
it doesn't matter how Listen. interesting a show is, I pass out. And right. I don't remember what I've done for the past 45 minutes. And Holly has made fun of me on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I did watch Scavenger's Reign. I watched the first episode. I remember going, oh, that's interesting. And then I fell asleep for about four episodes straight. That's that's very lucky. That's a good curse. I, I find that I just sit bolt upright whenever there's a show on. And so I've just like completely engaged. I've never fallen asleep when I'm sitting at my desk. I know that that's a thing that some people do. I just can't. So I'm jealous of your ability to fall asleep. <laughs> there was the, the bear movie that came out. I don't want to talk about the bear movie. Cocaine bear? No, not. I would rather talk about cocaine bear, but sadly, no, I'm talking about the big scary bear that you spend five it's nights with. Big scary bear. What the fuck? The animatronic bear. Is that a bear? Five Nights at Freddy is a bear? Yeah. I thought he was like a cat or something. I am so... Marley, I need you to understand how envious I am of you. Oh, it is a bear! <laughs> I, I don't know this well enough. That is a bear, 100%. I blame the fact that one of my partners is a YouTuber, voice actor, and like his whole ordeal on his streams and such is to play scary games, and he got really popular playing Five Nights. I am tired of the bear. I've already seen the, the uh, Nicolas Cage one. Mm-hmm. I don't need to see whoever this is. Mm-hmm. Whatever this character, this do you know this man? What is this man's name? The main uh, character of the Five Nights at Freddy. Oh uh, fuck! This, he was uh he was in the Hunger Games. Is this Bieber? Is this is this uh one of the Hemsworths? Is this one of the? You know those brothers that sing? Is he one of those? He's not a Jonas brother. Jonas brother. That's what I was thinking. Uh, no, that's Josh Hutcherson. One of these is he in Twilight? Josh Hutcherson. He was in the Hunger Games. I know that, but okay. jo- yeah, that's Josh Hutcherson. Was he one of the two boys, the two main boys in that thing? I think so. Yeah, he was the bread boy. He was the bread boy. Yeah, they did get right. Matthew Lillard in this movie, which is hilarious to me. Just okay. imagine Shaggy uh, becoming a mass murderer. And also in the in the thing, <laughs> and also in the game, yeah. he plays Steve Raglan and William Afton, characters yeah. I know well from the Five Nights at Freddy franchise. Uh, yeah, I, you know he's in Scream. He he plays a lot of role, similar roles after Scooby Doo. He sells a bunch of NFTs. Wait, he does? I think that was like tied to or something like that. He was like, it was like that kind of have launched Midnight Movie Club, an NFT based project that allows holders to participate yeah. in the first ever decentralized. Movies. That's depressing. That's from yes. two years ago. Yeah, that's when that's when that was all happening. But we're not talking about that one. <laughs> yeah. Yep, not my problem. Now, <sighs> yes. Now, usually we go into a segment called Inspiration slash How's It Going. However, I think that counts. Does that count? Talking about the last the movies from the last several years, the movies and TV shows for the last several years we haven't talked about. I mean, it does. Because you said you did want to have a short one. I did. A short episode. But there is a portion on here that really catches my eye and i've only seen clips okay. of and i really i think it'd be really funny i would love to hear about your experience with this plat uh this uh ip that you've been playing through at the moment yes so i've been checking out the wonderful 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 game ellen wake 2 which which is not a tv show although it's very close to being a tv it's show so it's got a lot a of tv show <laughs> full motion video into it um it is great it's like it is just, it's sort of, it's so weird because it's like made by Remedy Entertainment, who's made Max Payne, who's made uh, Quantum Break, who's made Control famously, uh, and also Alan Wake 1, and probably some other games that I'm forgetting. 
But like, I never really got into them until Control came out. And for some reason, I went out and bought Control like fully on the day of release because I was just like, this looks cool. I don't really know SCP. I was just intrigued by the premise. And so, yeah, I played Control, really loved it, loved the whole weird metafictional shit that happened in that thing, how it sort of was like, like a Twin Peaks type thing, except I liked it because I find Twin Peaks too weird. And I'm like, but this one is sort of like weird, but it still has like an internal normalcy that I like. And Alan Wake 2 is like that, but more so. And I love it because it feels like all these games I don't like, but made in a way that I do like. There's a lot of vibes in it that makes me sort of think of a lot of like David Cage games, except like what if David Cage wasn't evil and wasn't terrible? And like, you know, uh, one of the main characters of this game is a character called Alex Casey, who is played by um, Sam Lake, the, the uh, creative director of Alan Wake 2. Um, who is also the face of Max Payne, and is voiced by this this really cool uh, voice actor called Rafferty, James Rafferty or something like that. Um, and so, like, you just see the creator all the time, and he's always just in there. But I like Sam Lake. Every time I see interviews of Sam Lake, he seems so shy and so like so like goodwill and so nice. And I'm just like, every time I see him, I like seeing him. As opposed to like seeing like a Hideo Kojima, who I find kind of insufferable in a lot of ways, or like many of the other sort of like actors out there, uh, game directors out there who are just the or tours or whatever. And so I've just been a hundred percent just enjoying it. And there's a lot of weird things. Now you mentioned you've seen clips of this, and I don't want you to mention what clips you've seen because you sent me you sent me something, mm. and that was something I had played through, but it was such a joy to sort of discover, and so. Oh, I will not talk about that. That bit was was amazing, the thing you sent me. But, and I won't even say which bit it was because there were so many amazing bits in Alan Wake. And I'm I'm extremely enjoying it. It's just like, it's a fun survival horror, kind of like Resident Evil. Slightly not as scary, slightly scary in other ways. And yeah, the story's great. I like that you can press a button and you can go into your mind palace and just like walk around this little room and just like, fill out your case board and like level up all in this like little location that you have and it's great it's it's 100 like a really enjoyable game to play through my computer can barely handle playing it but i'm just like <laughs> all this weird glitch these visual gl glitches and the, the textures not loading in is all a part of the dark place Woo! and uh i love it i 100 recommend playing alan wake 2 it's such a wonderful wonderfully made game and the writing is incredible so I, I cannot wait to get to the credits so I can see the people who actually like wrote on this game because um, I follow a lot of people who made Control and those people have been amazing followers. Yeah, Alan Wake 2 is good and it's it's extremely weird and really fun in accessible ways. And and yes, that's Alan Wake 2. <laughs> yeah, no, I the the bit is probably one of like the most commonly seen thing I've witnessed of the uh alan wake 2 game to the point that i'm like i need to pick this up i don't have money i guess i'll watch it play through of it but then yeah like i yeah i did pay over a hundred dollars for it because i wanted to have the the fun skins i want to have a cool suit that you can equip and stuff but i never do pre-orders usually yeah. so yeah yeah 
uh, that was like the big thing I definitely wanted to at least hear about from you. Uh, the other stuff, and actually, I just realized in my inspirations, I put so many shows. Oh, so many yeah. shows. <laughs> yeah, you did. Literally, those exact words is what you sort of put in there. Yeah. Um, there are things I could talk about, but we we might as well just save that for next time because I felt I feel like uh we spent a good chunk of time just talking about uh TV shows. In fact, I think we spent about twenty minutes or so. But, so, I mean, but, per show, that was pretty good. We spent yeah. about three minutes per show jumping through all that. So I'm pretty proud of us. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we have things to talk about next time. And we always have stuff, inspirations we're talking about. Yeah. And uh, one of these things you can actually, will probably come up at the end of the show, too. Looking at your yes. list. Yes. Yes. I mentioned it twice for some reason. I don't know why. Moving on. Wanted to get some water. Um. Moving on to the other segment. The next segment. Well, there's more than two segments, Marley. What are you talking about? Uh, let's talk about tabletop RPGs we've been checking out. Yeah. Um, I I always like to jump over to 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 you, Cole, whenever I introduce this segment. So we'll jump over to you. Tell me about what game you've been checking out this yeah. fortnight. So this fortnight I've been checking out Outward Bound by Penflower Inc. It was mm-hmm. a this game specifically caught my eye because of the cover, the art style itself. Oh, yeah, here, let me grab the uh, screen cap of the cover real quick for you. Take screenshot. Mm. And, then, and then if you could, paint a word picture. Yeah, so it's it's a nice, simple-looking... Uh, it's a nice little drawing, basically. You're in space, outward bound mm-hmm. is in a very... And what I consider to be, like, the most pleasant color, it's like a almost magenta pink, uh, yeah. very lavender purple, and it bleeds down to a blue and to a teal. And mm-hmm. it just says Outward Bound, a game by Pinflower Inc. And it's all space uh, at, and a nebula with some asteroids drawn in and a spaceship that's like, what if you had a ring? What if you had like one of those little spin, uh, spinning tops that they put above uh, baby cribs? But instead of it being upside down, you had it right side up or sideways. Yeah. Have, you, have, you seen, have you seen the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey? Yes. It's like the opening of that, except instead of throw a, a big a monkey throwing a big bone into the air, it's what if a baby threw like some some a spinny top in the air and then it jumped into the, the cover of Outward Bound. It's like that. Yeah, it's a very very pleasant like it's very pleasant. It's sci-fi. Mm. It's a very sci-fi game. And uh, the another thing as I was reading through it that it reminded me of is a book by Becky Chambers. Technically, it also reminds me of the Wayfarer series. A little bit, okay. but the biggest part that it reminds me of is the novella that she, uh, they wrote called To Be Taught If Fortunate, which is a book about a group of astronauts who go deep into space and will be in these long periods of uh, suspended animation. Mm-hmm. And will during this time, they will r- go closer and closer to certain planets and their body will be just genetically adjusted to accommodate for gravity, accommodate for different gases in the air in order to make it breathable Mm. things along these lines and their whole thing is they're there to observe not to conquer they're there to do research to find a place that could be habitable without needing to change every uh every single thing about it within control and this game feels very much like that it focuses a lot on 
the scientific exploration and the interpersonal relationships of the crew as you explore this place called the Terran Belt, which the Terran Belt has this strange phenomenon. Uh, Terran Belt is marked marketed as uninhabited but has a whole bunch of really strange phenomenon going on through it and that is because of this field of transformative energy called the tide which once i read about that i went that's very twilight mirage yes yes yeah like not to take this game and put into another product but it felt very much like that is it is it twilight mirage or this is for all our friends of the table heads out there or is it like the uh, about a partisan and the uh, the perennial wave thinger perennial wave? Or is it, I mean, it's different. It's not like a life form, but well, like so again, friends of the table analogy. Twilight Mirage. Mm. It's supposed to be kind of like a augmented reality space that people can interact with and change. And right. And okay. If I'm saying this right, there is definitely going to be someone who's like, no, that's actually not what it is. It's actually this. And I will be called out and that's fine. I will take that. But for the most. Get at us in the discord. Only available on Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's such a fucking. Sorry, we have an industrialist we keep in the back who laughs at certain moments. Yeah. Uh, It even goes out of the way in the game's uh, disclaimer. It says. The lore as written presents the asteroids of Terran Belt as uninhabited, but should you decide Mm -hmm. to include native life forms on them for your game, keep in mind that the Interplanetary Union, which is where your characters come from, does not hold to any colonialist mindset. Furthermore, this game does not legitimize the introduction of bigotry at the table. There is no discrimination based on color, species, appearance, disability, faith, sex, or gender in the Terran Belt setting, and you may not create supplements or adventure modules based on Outward Bound if you intend to also intend to intend to promote it at any of these forms of bigotry listed above see above the pre-adventure discussion chapter for information on playing safely and collaboratively so going back into the setting as well your characters are all these different uh species from a organization called the interplanetary union which is basically a like collaboration of a whole bunch of different planets working together for scientific purposes only only to progress their civilization further and to learn of new mysterious things out there and they have some really neat like alien designs as well and uh each one of them has like their own bonuses and benefits there are some that move uh move around differently there are some that are robots there's an ant folk in here uh they make Mm. make a point of highlighting like mobility aids are a thing here there are characters who need to take medication for a variety of reasons. There's also the photonic, mm-hmm. who seems to be a hyper-intelligent shade of the color blue. Yes, basically. They arrived in our universe via an anomalous dimensional rift. Their luminous forms were not suited to our uh, dimension, so they were quickly equipped with electromagnetic field emitter stabilizers, referred to as rigs, to keep their form. That is cool as hell. It's very, very cool. I like a lot of how these folks were, are all these characters species and options look very unique and different and it does encourage mm-hmm. you if like you know maybe you don't want to play one of these folks maybe you want to make your own to let you learn that tell them about what your home world is like how long have you been here do you own a spacecraft and if so is it from your home have y'all been working together yeah. for a long time what kind of missions and objectives do you go on the campaign structure of the game is a little bit blades in the dark e 
and that you really? have really well not blades in the dark. Oh, I'm very surprised to hear that. No, it's, yeah, but like it's basically you have an assignment, you have some kind of score you have to go to, and hmm. there will be complications on that score, uh, just like any kind of uh campaign scenario that you would have in a uh, typical game. And there are complications to go along with it. It could be equipment failure. There could be the tide could come in, roll in and cause some kind of issue. There are a variety of different ways to approach this game. I think it's, I do like that there are more and more games out there that are like, I, because uh, last episode I talked about Monster Care Squad and how Mm -hmm. it tries to remove combat in the sense and more it's trying to help something, albeit with like combat mechanics, but not with the end goal of, I will destroy you to the end goal of I need to contain your movement until I can get you treated and then we'll let you go. Yeah. This game also uses a RPG system I never heard of until I read through it called the four point system. Yeah. And I, I don't know what that is. Is that a is that a new system? Have they done it? Have they come up with a new one? I I don't think it's that new of a system. Okay. My, I think it's a riff on some other different games. So how the four-point system works is you have essentially your stats as a character. I, I have found a link to it. It's actually made by Penflow Inc. So it's like the same. Oh, game. so it is new. It's fairly new then because this game came out a couple years oh, ago. Yeah. It came out on December 9th, 2021. So last, well, not even a year ago, right? Yeah. So a couple months ago. It's... So wait no, what am I talking about? It's 2023. Yeah, hold on. I heard 2021. My brain shut down for a second there. Yeah, but the year, as we all know, is 2020, and this is all future time. (laughs) But so basically, how it works is you have your four separate stats, you have your wits, stamina, dexterity, and social ability, and you assigned Mm -hmm. uh, points to this. And as you play the game more, you can add more points to certain stats. These stats work as a pool. You take, you spend from the pool in order to achieve. It's kind of basically, it's like by spending one point, you guarantee a partial success, but you will have a negative consequence. By spending two points, you get a partial success, and there's a complication, but it's not negative or positive. It's just inconvenient to get around. And then if you spend three points, entirely successful. Oh, you can spend your uh, energy points through your stats. And those will recharge after the assignment or through uh, special situations. Alternatively, you can test your luck, which is where the dice rolling come in. Mm. And this, to me, is a bit more of a, I'm going to say like gumshoe or actually, yeah, this system feels a little bit closer to gumshoe than anything else, because you can also spend points, uh, skill points for in a school to make a success. But way it works is very different but you know mm-hmm. on this one it's 50 50 if you roll four five or six your action is a total success if you roll one two or three it's a total failure with negative consequences it's either it's basically save or die kind of yeah. of just you need to roll high or roll low you can also get advantage or disadvantage if you are using energy points you can reduce the cost if you have advantage so instead of spending three points to get a total success. You can actually only spend two on advantage and disadvantage mm-hmm. is the opposite where it costs more. When you're also taking advantage for a test your luck roll, you basically extend, extend the range of the roll. So instead of four to six to succeed, you take a three to six to succeed. Yeah. 
It's, yeah. It seems really interesting because it's it's almost like a reverse Blades in the Dark where yeah. like you can choose to spend points to avo- avoid a roll before you make the roll and and or you can roll to try and test your luck. Whereas in Blades in the Dark, it's roll first and then do you want to spend points to resist that thing? Yeah. I'm really curious to ha- see how that changes the vibe of the whole thing. Yeah. What I find interesting about this game is I'm trying to think this like this is whenever I look at the rules of a game, I try to think, how would I explain this to a table, especially if they're first time playing anything dice related. Yeah. And to me, this feels something easier to roll onto of just, okay, well, you know, you have this many points in your pool. We go through the first assignment. Wow. You spent all your points very quickly and now you can only test your luck and you're rolling poorly. You're going to start learning. Okay. There's a risk and balance between these two. Mm -hmm. And it, it changes as it goes. Oh, another thing I should mention too is there's difficulties on different actions as well. So there's normal, then tricky increases the energy point cost by one, but does not change the test of your luck. Tough is increased by two, but rolling a one to four means total failure. And challenging increases the cost by three and is a one to five means failure. So you got to roll complete success basically. Right, that's interesting. I wonder how easy that is to remember. I I imagine like it comes up like not yeah. that often until you get yeah. really into the game. Maybe like set third or fourth mi- uh, assignment in, working together. Mm-hmm. Plenty of conditions or skills characters can have that they can learn. Different species have different vulnerabilities, resistances, and immunity as well. Okay, which is fascinating to think about. Just like yeah we want to really show off the difference of just like how unique each per each character is. So not only do you have your own unique set of skills that you've learned and unique ways of interacting with the world, but also, you know, we're going to a asteroid with a bunch of water being an electromagnetic cloud, not really going to help out or will help out a lot. If you want to try and make it electric (laughs) or something. (laughs) And so it's, it's basically your, is it like each species is the equivalent of like a class or something, or is there like class on top of that? If I remember correctly, it basically each species is kind of a class because right. Each one of them, you, they all have special abilities and you choose two out of each of them. So like the ant folk, mm. the thri- uh, Thrysics who are from the dwarf planet, I- uh, Ixi, okay. they have the, they can take the ability flight. So you can have wings yeah. and the ability to fly for one hour wall crawling they can only choose one of those abilities oh that's fascinating okay but they come with the traits of like exoskeleton they can resist being hurt by piercing impacts and attacks they have mandibles so when you clamp onto objects or creatures either inflicting hurt or hurt plus blocked by spending one additional ep and then scent speech mm-hmm. is a trait that they have the gelatinous bodies called the hymns humza is how that's pronounced yeah hmz is how it's spelled yeah, HMZ, how it's spelled, pronounced Humza, according to the book. Mm-hmm. Are these like three eyed invertebrates, kind of just imagine a little bit like slugs that can stand up? Yeah. And they get the abilities of tight fit, where they can squeeze through any tiny gap or into a tiny space without injury. They can have limited shape shifting, so they can turn into and mimic things if they so choose, but mm-hmm. they can't get, become bigger or uh, it must be. There we go. My eyes just like blurred out. I was trying to read for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> when you read too hard. Yeah. 
The form must be the same <laughs> size as your original form and cannot perfectly mimic the appearance of another creature. You can spend EP to get extra appendages if you so choose. And you can also be sticky. That's what EP stands for, extra appendages. Yeah, like, it's interesting that, like, every species is its own class as well, too. I'm wondering if there's, like, a, if folks, like, combine and mix and match uh, whenever oh, they play what? this game as well, too. Because I could easily see. They must be able to. Yeah. yeah. What's also fascinating about this game, none of them are human. Like, in the uh, base book, none of them are human at all. Like, uh, hmm. there's humanoid machines, such as the Continuant, which are originally designed and created millennia ago by a long extinct species from the other side of the planet, who have damaged their planet to the point of making it uninhabitable. In an effort to preserve something of their doomed species, they designed the Continuance to carry their legacy across the stars. It's This is something I came across. Like, I did a hack of Offworlders years and years ago, where I just, like, had, had an optional rule where... If you played as an alien, you get to like choose two extra traits in addition to the regular things. And one of the things that I found is that no one wanted to play a human anymore. Everyone just wanted to be like a lamp <laughs> that is also a robot, mm -hmm. but people didn't identify it as a lamp because it just looked like a lamp. Or everyone wanted to play like a weird slug monster that could just spit like acid. Yeah. And that was just the thing that I noticed. That's very fun. I, I always found it fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, when you have the options for weirder things, it's it's more interesting to play the weirder things than humans. Yeah, and like and I think it, we have like a direct experience with that too, because we played we did a playtest of a game that's supposed to be a uh kit bash of a West Marches campaign. West Marshes, sorry. Marches. Yeah. I was right. Yeah. Uh and Forge in the Dark. And the game itself was very much like you can only play humans and the entire group yeah. around us said, nah, let's play something interesting. Yeah, I forget what that game was called. It was like Forged in the Marshes. Yeah, that know. sounds I'm still right. in the, I'm somewhere in that Discord, but yeah, that was that was the thing where the, the rules explicitly say you couldn't play non-humans uh, and we were just I was just like, fuck that, play whatever you want. And everyone played weird things and it was great. We had like a catfish person, we had an owl person, we had two constructs. Two robots. Yeah. Two, yeah. What are they called? Two robots, both very different. They were Lorists. Arcanists. Uh Ar no. Lorists. Lorists, that's what it was. Because uh, they knew about law. Yeah. They understood the law. L O R E. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. Like I it's so interesting like looking at this game, um, because I I made a game like because it seems like one of the things I'm very curious about is how it sort of approaches like colonization and the whole like um, Star Trek thing. Because like Star Trek people in in that television show, they're weird colonialists. Like mm. they say that like, oh, we're all about peace and we solve everyone's problems. But like what they do is they're a weird military force that comes into planets and solves all their problems for them. Mm -hmm. It is a kind of like this weird thing. Like there's a there's a strange power dynamic that has to be worked out and i wrote a game called apocalypse road trip where like the big evil alien group that sort of comes down and starts like changing things was just a star trek people coming down and just being like oh yes where we welcome all uh, all all people of all kinds into our empire and we want them to be part of that and so they basically came to earth and they're they're, they're doing all this weird alien things because they want to try and fix earth or whatever and want to try and like integrate people into it and so it's so interesting seeing this and like wondering like how does this interplanetary union focus on that because it says it's not about colonialism in that strict sense but I don't know it's I always find that that part a really interesting thing to navigate 
and yeah. I'm curious. I I think their way of currently getting around it is like highlighting the fact that the entire asteroid belt is uninhabited, yeah. and they are strictly going there to do research, explore this phenomenon called the tide, and you know the tide has its own anomalies. Just looking at a table to give some examples, it can have a electromagnetic turbulence, uh, ele- mm-hmm. energy draining gas cloud, rogue miniature black hole. That's horrifying. An inside yeah. out abandoned spaceship. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> this is terrifying. This is cool. Yes. <laughs> uh, looking at like the adventure prompts they offer you, they give you four adventure prompts off in the book itself, such mm-hmm. as a series of probes that were sent to scan an uncharted sector of the Tain belt have all simultaneously stopped transmitting data back to the fellowship station. This is that's straight from the toilet. Mirage. Yep. Mirage, that's very funny. Mm-hmm. An unknown alien ship has arrived in Tain and is transmitting what appears to be a hailing frequency. However, all ships mm-hmm. that have approached the alien craft so far have not been acknowledged and all answers to the hail ignored. That is a, that feels like a, what's the sequel to a memory called empire. That feels like something from that. Nobody knows. I haven't read that one. Uh, Desolation Called Peace. Yeah, that's one. What a fucking hardcore name, by the way. Anyways, it feels like something that would come from that. And, uh, you know, stuff like testing their new prototype craft. But <laughs> the engine needs to generate an artificial wave in order to function. Complications are expected. Like, just four quick ones up. Go check out why this thing stopped working. Go check out why these people aren't responding. We are yeah. testing something out here, and we need something artificial to see if it would even work. Yeah. But a long term, my, I'm curious where, where that would go. My assumption is this is just a game designed not to deal with that kind of, the, the kind of thing that I would be drawn to, like, exploring this kind of setting with. Yeah. That's a weird sentence. But, like, like it's 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 chill. It's not about about, like, colonization and about you know, the weird dark side of the Enterprise. It's about, like, the, the the happy things. It's about, like, checking out cool sciences and going on space adventures and rescuing people and helping things out and, and working together and all that sort of thing. Like, the good, you know, um, optimistic sort of way of looking at it rather than my, like, slightly cynical... Well, not slightly cynical. I'm very cynical. I'm a very cynical person for telling stories. And so, yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious... I'm curious what the vibe is and, like, how how it approaches all that if it approaches that or if it's just like this is just easy this is like you know zelda i guess this is well i guess Zelda's also kind of anyway yeah. uh but it's like more light it's more like easy and sort of like fun way of playing that yeah i i made a reference to becky chambers early on and if mm-hmm. folks who've read the uh wayfarer series you know long way around to a small angry planet a close common orbit the other two that i can't remember at the moment this feels very much in the vein of her kind of writing. Mm. Very, you know, there is going to be conflict. There is going to be problems in interpersonal relationships. There are going to be things outside of our control that will heavily affect our lives. But overall, a lot of her stories are people go out of their way to help each other in the end. People care about yep. each other. Things go to improve the community. And that's kind of what this game feels like. That sounds nice. It, it feels very nice. Can I make a very abrupt uh, transition to yes. my game? <laughs> I was about to say, but speaking, I was going to say, but speaking of spaceships, starters, and motherships, uh, Marley, why don't you tell us about your game? 
I checked out Mothership. <laughs> we just the complete like tonally very similar. It's about being in space and going on adventures and hanging out with your crew. Uh, no interpersonal rules at all, but it's also aliens and it's also OSR, and so it's all about killing things. Like there's literally no stat to roll if you speak to anything. You don't have a talk stat that you have to worry about. Don't worry about it. It is so funny because like. It is the exact far end of this sort of thing. It is the most grim, dark bullshit ever. And yeah, it's been on my reading list for ages. Uh, it is very popular. I think it's currently free. If you go to TuesdayNightGames.itch.io, you can just download the core rules for free. And they did a really interesting thing in that like, they have the core rules, but they have no monster stats and no adventures. And if you want to get like cool adventures and stuff, you can check out the other games that they wrote. Like the the dead planet, which I have, and is okay. I'm sort of reading through it slowly. Um, there's also Pound of Flesh, which I've heard good things about. But like, pretty much like, if you want to know how to like play the game and have the core rules, you basically just read through the the 44 pages of rules. I always thought it was way longer. It's not. Um, and you find out how stat checks work, and you have the, the most beautiful character sheet in all of tabletop rpg design ever um google it it's this amazing spreadsheet uh spreadsheet that is just astounding to me it's got a skill tree which is kind of neat and also restrictive but yeah it has all the rules about how to make how to play a character and how to like use a ship and then if you want to be able to actually use it you have to like buy adventures to do that which i always think is a fun interesting thing now let me tell you about why I chose this game and why I'm interested in this game. It is because I like the game, I like the, the, the media property Alien. Alien is good. People like Alien. People like the cool Xenomorph who spits acid at people. And if you kill it, it spits acid all over the place. And people like the concept of, of playing on a, on, on like a, a Union uh, cargo ship and about like struggling against corporations and doing all this sort of thing. And that is why the game Mothership is good, is because it is just a base system that you can take and play those adventures. And the system itself, I do not like. <laughs> it is it is, it is, is not a game that I enjoy. You roll a D100 to do most things. It's very sort of floaty. It's a bit like up and down with like how you can get it. You can have like the best stat in the world and you just roll too high and you just don't succeed. And that's annoying. And it, you can, there's a skill tree, as I mentioned, that adds 10% onto your roll if you use it. And I'm not sure if that means you add 10 to your result or you add your, your number, which is like 33. So you add 3.3 onto the, the roll, you have to, the, the number you have to roll below. Mm. And it's, I don't like it. There's so many things I do not like about this game. And it's very interesting that it's like it's um I'm comparing my my experience coming to this game being like my experience coming to something like Starfield, which is a game I also did not like in that like I had this idea of what it was and I had this like this notion in my in my head about like how this game would play and about like like there's there's classes like you can play a a teamster who's kind of like the regular crew person, kind of like the Ripley. You can play the scientist, you can play the marine, or you can play the android, who is different to everyone else. 
And that seems interesting, even though I'd rather pick my own class and decide whether it's an android or not. But yeah, there's like so many interesting ideas that it doesn't quite get there. And yeah, I feel like, like, again, reading through this has made me excited for what this game could be and what other people could do if they take this game and sort of run with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say, I feel like that is something I've run into before where like Mothership, there are like mods to uh, Mothership or games based off of Mothership that hmm. they build like different encounters with, but I never, it feels like, I don't like the, uh, how specific it is also just like that. Yeah. That's 100%. so weird. I get the fear rules. I get the fear rules just cause like, that's kind of the big draw of those franchises. Is like someone is yes. going to be scared and they're either going to freeze they're going to scream or they're going to run. Sometimes. Yeah. Like, oh, do you like three? <laughs> do you like tables? <laughs> well, guess what, folks? I fucking hate tables. <laughs> do you like sanity tables? Do you like all this kind of oh, thing? Yeah. Call of Cthulhu. It's, it's so game. fun. <laughs> like, it is It is a similar thing that if you've encountered, like, an OSR game, there is a common trait where you basically roll on a table to say what your injury is. So if you lose a bunch of health or if you get to a point, you roll it, uh, some dice and it will tell you what to happen. Like, there's the panic table. You can get laser focus advantage on all rolls for the next 1d10 hours. Or you can get a heart attack if you roll 30 plus, which is instant death. And that's the kind of thing. I mean, there's there's other things. I went from the, the top one to the bottom one. But it's like a big range of different things that will happen based on the dice roll. Um, rather than actually narrating like what this could be. Um, it has similar things for like about wounds and stuff like that. And how it can help you or hinder you. I think that... Um, Games like Into the Odd and Electric Bastion Land, their entire level up system is based on rolling on a random table like that, um, which is interesting. But just again, not something I like as someone who likes to tell stories and like sort of author the way harm works and like discuss what that could be. And yeah, it's it's a it's a very it's a, it's a sort of a strange game like that in that like that's so core to it, and it's also the game is very descriptive rather than like giving the open-endedness of, of what you could do. Like, for instance, there is a whole page that describes what happens when you lose oxygen and about, like, how you count the amount of oxygen. And I hate that because if I'm playing that game, I don't get the freedom as a GM to just be like, oh, we don't have any oxygen. What does that mean? Um, I guess I can describe it as this, or it could be like this. You can come up with your own like little ways of playing within the system. The game just says you have... X amount of hours divided by the number of people who are here. If you are in a, a cryo chamber, you get one fourth. And as a result, the rules are things that you go back to. You have to scr like scroll back and like see what it says when you run out of oxygen and like how you should handle that. And you make yourself very reliant on the rules rather than having the freedom and, and like like being comfortable with the core rules to just be like, oh, I can mess around with this. And there's, there's a bunch of very strange specific rules like, how do you, uh, can I captain my own ship? In general, it says, most ships are piloted by one person and a working computer. To be considered a captain, however, brackets, generally a requirement for purchasing or owning a ship, in brackets, you need to have the vehicle specialization skill in the, uh, in the class of ship you'll captain, as well as the command skill. And so you can't be a shitty captain. If you are a captain, it means you have you're able to 
fly this specific ship and you're also really good at com- commanding. You can't have someone who's terrible at it who's just gotten this position. No, you have to be like this. This is the way captains are. And it's just like, why? Why is this a thing? And um, I think I mentioned before, like I ro- uh, there's like advantage on all roles for the next 1d10 hours. Who cares how many d10 hours there is? Why not just say a couple hours? Why do I have to roll on a d10 to tell my story about how many hours? Because I'm not going to play every single hour of this game and like count down how many hours I still have advantage on this. Just say a couple. And then when that time is up, say you don't have advantage anymore. This game is filled with like XD10 minutes and XD10 whatevers. And it's also got damage values, which I feel similarly about. You should just say how much damage I take rather than how many D10 uh, stress there is or how many D10 uh, damage there is. And... It, it makes you roll. It makes you focus on these things. There's, there's different, like it is, it is, it is. <sighs> Let me think. I, this game is very simple. It is deceptively, it seems complicated and it makes you go back to it, but the core rules are fairly simple. Where it gets de- difficult is the details. There's like stuff like, what is the effective range of each of these items? It's not like these weapons work, like every every weapon will work up to, you know, uh, 10 meters and that'll be that'll be medium range. Um, and then beyond that, if, it, if it's less than that, it'll be close. If it's more than that, it's long range or something. No, each weapon has a different small range where it's effective at, medium range where it's sort of disadvantaged and long range which it can't move past. If you want to figure out what that is, if just go back to the very first page of the book and look at the chart they have written, which is easy to look at, but I don't want to constantly look back at charts. I don't want to see how much, how many bullets can fit in this game, how many, how many shots you get before reloading, and like the most interesting things with all this weaponry is like the cool special ability. Like there's like a a laser cutter that can just cut through anything. Just make them like that. Just tell me I can cut through anything, and I don't have to worry about value about damage values. Like if you get hit by that, you're dead. That's all I care about. And yeah, sorry, you were saying something. Yeah, I was gonna say like it's fascinating because like I know people who really do love the structure of this game, mm-hmm. and at the same time, I'm like I don't think I've ever seen anyone play this so tight to the tables at mm. all, or like the D10s of XD10 of advantage, which is still very wild to me. But yeah. like, it's one of those things where it's just like. The, I imagine they want that like OSL OSR feel of like you want to have that. It's gonna feel weird to say this, but like that bit of punishment of just like, yeah. Not only do you have to hit, but you have to roll good as well. That's why the laser cutter does X D one hundred of damage and such. You yeah. know, but Which, those bits are the most fun bits because it's 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 kind of funny that you could roll a one. Yeah. And you could also roll a hundred and you don't know because it's so unreliable. And like that's interesting, but also in play it would just be boring if you just rolled a one. And yeah, there's 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 I mentioned before that there's a uh, skill tree, which is a bit of design that I fucking love because I like filling in skill trees in video games. Like I am I am a sucker for shitty Ubisoft games <laughs> where you progress down these things, whether you're one of the four things or one of three things, you're like stealthy. You're a brawler, or you're both. Crusader Kings, just yeah. That's that's. I mean, Crusader Kings has a way better thing than that. Yeah. You, 
have much better things. But like this game, the way it works is you basically have a basic skill, which is like linguistic, linguistics, biology. That's apparently a level one skill. Don't know what that means. First aid, hydroponics, geology. And then it has like little linking things. Like for instance, if you have biology, you can get an expertise in psychology, question mark, question mark, question mark, or genetics, which kind of makes sense because it's bi biology. Um, but you have to get the prerequisites before you can get the things they are linked to. And so for instance, if you want to get vehicle specialization, you can get mechanical repair, driving, or piloting. And then you can, you will get that thing because it progresses forward to it. And it is cool. Um, except that it would be the most annoying thing in play. Like I cannot imagine how boring it would be to be like, all right, I want to be good at hyperspace. But in order to do that, I have to spend so much XP on things I am not interested in in order to get to that space. And I, like, so much. Like, what is the thing? How much is... I'm trying to find the cost of all the XP. You just scroll around. See, this is the experience of playing Mothership, that you would just basically scroll around. <laughs> How much XP do I need to level up? You start off at level zero. To survive your first session, you, you'll level up and become a first level character. After that, use the table below to see how much XP you use to level up. Total XP needed to go to level 1. 10 for level 1, 25 to level 2, 50 to level 3. Uh, what can I do when I level up? Improve one stat by 5 and another by 3, max 85. Improve two saves by 4 each, max 85. What is this, 65? I'm not zooming. I'm zooming in all the way. And gain two skill points. Uh, train skills cost one point to learn. See, there's skill points, and then there's also XP separately. Just, just to point that out, whenever you level up. Mm -hmm. Train skills cost one point to learn. Expert kill skills cost two points to learn. Master skills cost three points to learn. And so that's what you need in order to improve. And that's kind of cool, I guess. But it's so clunky, and it's so annoying. Like, my, my general feeling about this, my general, like, mothership feeling, is that this is a good base system to play more interesting adventures. Like if I want to play a sci-fi thing, I can take this and I can play another sci-fi system. Like I heard of this um, recent Kickstarter adventure, which is I think set on the Demeter and it's basically playing the, the, that cool bit of Dracula where Dracula's on a boat and is drinking people on his way to England. Mm -hmm. And I like that story and I like the idea of doing that in space and that's based around Mothership. Um, Isn't there a movie the only down that? That already came out. It okay. was. We can talk about that now, which is called Voyage of the Demeter. Ah, um, I haven't seen it. I've heard mixed things about it. Some people said it's amazing. Some people said it's terrible. I like Dracula, so I'll probably watch it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but I, I think that there is so much room for a, a better system than this. It's sort of like a more streamlined system, a way of doing this. Uh, this game, again, came out in 2018. So this is a five-year-old game. Like this game shortly out, uh, this came out shortly after Blades in the Dark, I think. I, I think Blades in the Dark so. came out in 2017 or 2016. And yeah, I think I think there should be like a, a a different version of this game that sort of like has more freedom and has sort of like takes it and runs with it. Because I feel like one of the things that like, for instance, uh, Fist, which we talked about a few months ago, was really great in that it said like, this is an unfinished game. This is a game you're encouraged to take and run with and change and, and alter. 
Mothership is sort of a game that sort of says you have to sort of come back to this and really like check out how you feel about it. And, and, and it should come back to the way that, that this game says it should be. I said that in a really weird, vague way, but <laughs> you get what I mean, I hope. And like, I feel like it's, Mothership is really interesting because I, I've seen like a bunch of people take the Mothership ID, idea and IP, not really IP, just the idea and say, I want to do an alternative way of doing that. Like, for instance, Riley Daniels um, making uh, Into the Blind, which which I'm incredibly interested in sort of seeing how it go- goes. It's a, uh, a trophy-based version of this, and it's designed to sort of, like, take take a lot of, like, uh, Mothership-based, like, missions and adventures, and you can just very easily port it into a different system that is more flexible, has a better idea of androids, and a better idea of people who are not like regularly humans. And I am intrigued by seeing how that goes. I'm also intrigued by other people who make different systems to fit Mothership's things. Because it's like it's like how people always try and make like D&D diff- D&D but a different game. Like D&D but a Power by the Apocalypse or D&D but um about Forge the Dark and sort of like Taking what they love about D and D, what they enjoy about this idea, uh, uh, idea, and then just making it playable and making it easier and fixing things that that haven't been fixed. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really intrigued about like various people who try and do a mothership type thing, and if it's successful, if it can beat the juggernaut that is mothership, because I think that's a it's free, it's free to download on Nintendo, and everyone makes expansions for it. But yeah. And it's 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 an interesting game, and it's also like, like I was talking before when we were we were talking about uh, Outward Bound that like, it, it, I would like to have a game that explores colonialism and stuff like that, and this is kind of that, but it's also like really f- far overcorrecting version of that, where it's just like, oh, you're a terrible colonialist, and that's what you do. You come in, you play the Marines who like beat up all the all the the, nat- the, the people who live here and deal with them because you're edgy and stuff which isn't quite like that it is like a little bit tongue-in-cheek whenever it sort of describes that but i don't know it's like i wish it was slightly better and more considerate like the idea of like one of your classes could just be android rather than you're a person who could be an android which i think is like one of the cool things in 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 the first alien film where you're like not sure if a person is an android or isn't an android and how they are connected to the corporation and it's sort of like them being an android is a big reveal and i like that and how like other people like uh, become androids and identify as androids and that changes how people approach them and how they feel about them and i also like blade runner which is cool and which was very tied into all these things and it's i wish this game had a more interesting way of approaching androids and just making them a class and i wish they had a more interesting way of approaching classes in general rather than saying you're a teamster you're a scientist you're a marine these are your specialties and your saves um again i hate classes that's the thing that i'm slowly learning about tabletop rpg design i'm just like make them just make whatever do what as the sun forever sets did um but yeah i feel like i've talked like for ages about mothership but it's free yeah it's cool to check out if only to be finding out what you don't like about it. And some people might love it. Like, it's got combat in an OSR fashion. And you can play that, I guess, if this is what you're into. Like, again, I'm drawn to it. But I'm like, I don't want to play it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it feels fascinating because like I've known I think it's Gehenna Gaming, if I remember right. They've done a few playthroughs of this on their channel. Let me double check and make sure I have that right. It's also funny because Gehenna is a, a vampire the masquerade bloodline. Uh, mas- vampire the masquerade term. That's honestly probably uh, where they got the idea from because I think they do do a lot of a lot of vampire as well too. Yeah. Yeah, they a uh, couple one shots and special features with Mothership specifically. Mm. They've done one season and then one one shot. There we go. Fascinating. Mm. Most part, they seem to uh, focus more on Alien the RPG, which I think is a. I've had incredible things about that. The Alien RPG, I don't think is an official hack. I think that's that's like a new IP specifically made by Free League, I want to say. I believe you may be correct. I'm looking at the overview right now. It does not say who made it. It just says it's a game. It says here's the setting. Why are you singing? I don't know. <laughs> yes. There we go. Yes, yeah. it is by Freely. It is. It is. I'll, I'll show this. Um, the quote at the top is very funny. I'm going to quickly read it out. Move over, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> the <laughs> Swedish publisher Free League has released Alien, the role-playing game, and it is as great as it is terrifying. That's from The Gamer. I've heard incredible things. People absolutely love this game, and I'm curious about it because I like Free League stuff more than I like Mothership. So I'm curious what people say. Although I have seen the character sheet for the alien role-playing game, and it does seem very complicated. I'm not sure if I like it. It does seem crunchy. They also made Blade Runner the... Oh, that's also where I've heard Free League from. They're the Tales from the Loop yeah. people. Tales from the Loop. Tales Sorry. from the Loop. They loop those tales. Yeah. They loop those and tales together and make a rat king. Let's move on. It's <laughs> a horrible image. Yeah, and so that's that's my thought about Mothership. That is it. I guess moving on, let's talk about something nice and short. Yeah. You can finish this up nice and quick. I don't know if this is going to be a short episode. We have an episode topic, which is uh, something Cole, you suggested, which is tabletop mechanics in video games and the intersection of both. So what would you like to talk about today? Well, I was thinking about it a lot because... Uh, at this time, Baldur's Gate 3 had come out by the time I thought about this topic. And yes. it's very fascinating how different the interactions across the board have been for people who have been playing it. Uh, some people mm-hmm. trying to treat it like a regular D&D game and not really finding that satisfaction. Some people using it as an onboarding to get into D&D more and understanding it. Like I, mm-hmm. You mentioned the Adventure Zone earlier. One of the uh, brothers of the Adventure Zone was playing Baldur's Gate 3. And yeah. that's when he was like, oh, I finally understand spell slots now as a concept. <laughs> I've been playing, like, four campaigns of, uh, of, of, of D&D. Yeah, so I'm funny. like, damn. I'm blame like, I don't have to, but I'm going to blame Wizards of the Coast for not making it clear what spell slots are. Like, even in 5th edition, yeah. I still don't understand how spell casters work. And I've played that a couple times. I do, because I GM'd. Yeah. You know. So I'm I'm very very keenly aware of how spell slots work, players. But yeah, yeah, it's stupid, and a lot of the words are just overlapping, like spell levels versus character levels. So just it's the same thing repeated. You should come up with a separate word. And it's also we've we've also talked about how Baldur's Gate three, like, is an ideal way of doing Dungeons and Dragons because it keeps track of all the shit you don't want to keep track of, like mm-hmm. inventory, weight, and stuff like that. And it makes it sort of easier that, like, it does a lot of the more complicated things on the computer end. 
Well, what's funny about that is, like, even in my D&D games, we don't track what the fuck is, like, weight is. And, again, uh, to remind folks, I play 3.5 uh, with my mm-hmm. current at-home group. And, yeah, we barely... We'll just have uh, our DM, Dane, just say, yeah, no, that's going to be too heavy for y'all. You got to figure out how to make it lighter. Or, yeah, you can put that in the bag. That's fine. And then we'll just miscellaneous... We'll just look through our journal and be like, yeah, I think I still have this on us. Do you? Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's just, it's just bag of holding. That's like the reason bag of holding is exist. Yeah. Is so that everyone can just put their stu- stuff in that. You don't have to worry about the weight. There is yeah. a weight limit of bag of holding, but who gives a shit? Exactly. Baldur's Gate doesn't do that. It just does the math for you, which yeah. I think is cool. Slight tangent. Yes. Just to kind of keep folks currently in my D and D thing, I am playing the healer cleric type. It's the cleric mm-hmm. sorcerer for 3.5 called Favored Soul, but we house ruled a whole bunch of shit to make it actually like a sorcerer that's divine. And I have now become one of those players who's like, yeah, no, let's just kill him, take the head, and I'll cast Speak with Dead because I have that spell now. And so yeah. we have to get really creative with our DM of just like, oh, wait, this person's not going to talk to us unless we look like one of their allies. Who the fuck are their allies? Shit, we killed all of them. <laughs> Yeah. So I think I think and it's also really interesting how Baldur's Gate 3 approaches that because like they have if there's a corpse lying around, you can generally talk to it. Um with some exceptions the later you get on to the get on in the game. But like if you kill a character in Baldur's Gate 3, they will choose not to talk to you. And that's the interaction. You get to keep your spell slot and stuff, but because they are you they killed you, they're just like, fuck you, I'm not gonna deal with you. And that's how they approach that, which I think is really clever and a very economical way of doing a narrative for a game. And yeah, there's a lot of really interesting things in Baldur's Gate 3. But yeah, I think like broadly, because the other other uh, other five, how many games did you mention? You mentioned a bunch of other games, including like Disco Elysium and Star Wars, uh, Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2, and also Citizen Sleeper. And I want to hear broadly what your thoughts is like thoughts are on how they approach you know tabletop mechanics and how they sort of like integrate it in a different way to Baldur's Gate 3 which is basically a tactical game that has that but the other games aren't really tactical game I guess KOTOR kind of is tell me more but yeah like yeah I'll, I'll start with the one I to me is like the epitome of you took tabletop RPG mechanics and you included them in the game, and you made it to where the player can feel both sides. And yes, there's going to be, we talked about this before the show, but there are some where it's like, yeah, there are going to be some where it's just you straight up fail and you can't get through things. But then there are the ones where like you fail and it's really fucking funny, or you succeed and it's just in such an, you pick the unexpected prompt. You, ha- you have the player moment of just doing the really weird out-of-pocket kind of, unexpected reaction of just you know what actually let me read this person's mind real quick and the mm. and the dm looks at you and says okay i need everyone else to step out of the room kind of thing and there are yeah. those moments in disco elysium where like it genuinely feels like this is the kind of weird uh weird wild absolutely silly shit i would get into with that table uh, i think the game's been long enough but if you haven't played disco elysium i highly recommend doing it because I still remember mm. that very great reaction where you have Kim with you and you are at the front desk and they're like, you need to pay your rent. You have been in this room for like two weeks. You're overdue. And you can. Yeah. 
ha- you have this interaction, and then one of them is like, "All right, sneak away, uh, sneak away stealthily, and disappear from the scene." And it doesn't tell you you failed until like thirty seconds after you do it. Yeah, and then the <laughs> next reaction is you failed. They're like, "Wait, where are you going?" And so you're the detective Harry jumps up yeah. or uh, tequila sunrise, depending on how you want to refer to him as jumps up in the air, flips them off, flips off the uh, front desk work and says, fuck you flying through the air straight into the wheelchair, <laughs> holding an old lady who is so sweet and has been nothing but kind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lena. I love Lena. I love her. And so it's much. just like, you just jump off, like flipping people off and collapse <laughs> and knock yourself out or something. Yeah. And you lose some hell. It's so funny. And they're like, okay, fine. You only have to pay the base price. You don't have to pay the late fee. Yeah. <laughs> Which, and like, then there's 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 things where uh, uh, you can fail a roll. I think we were talking about it uh, just as we were preparing for this. But there's like uh, a thing where you can fail a roll, and then if you level up or you gain some kind of item to allow you to retry the roll, you can try and do that again. And like if you go to a door and try and knock it open and you fail, you can you know come back later and try and fix it up. Yeah, but um, as as I was telling you, I just save scumped. Like that's how I approach that, and it's also how I pl- approach a lot of Baldur's Gate three. In that, because there's an option to save scum versus not, then I just try and save scum until I get the option that I like. Like the failures are great, but if I just have to come back to it later, it's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I also want to point out there's like some RPGs that don't have save scumming possible. Like there's Pentiment, which isn't. St- Strictly based on a tabletop role-playing game. It probably was inspired because I know that Josh Sawyer plays a lot. Even though he, from what I've seen on his Twitter, uh, he tends to play alien RPG than anything that feels more pentiment I can't speak for the other designers who worked on the game. But like that game doesn't have an autosave. And so you make difficult decisions and then the story continues. And like you choose who's who's the murderer and then the game just continues with your choice. And you have to sort of live with that. And it's it's always interesting seeing which games allow auto saves, uh, which which games allow sort of saves comes and uh, which don't, um, and I guess that's the thing that's different to to uh, uh, tabletop games is that you don't really have a save scum ability. You kind of like roll with it in a more more reasonable sort of way. Yeah, like um, the the way save scumming happens as well too. To me, feels very much like a almost visual novel kind of thing of just like, I'm mm. going to test all these reactions till I get what I want to be yeah. the correct reaction or it will bring me closer to my target. The target being like the love interest at the time, depending on what game you're playing. Yeah. But yeah. Disco Elysium again, just like actually I have yet to play Pentiment. I have it downloaded. I need to play it. It's the best. It's, You've got to play it. Uh, I, my, my understanding of it is I saw uh, Josh Sawyer making it, uh, uh, playing a lot of Disco Elysium, and then a number of years later, released Pentiment. It's like the there's like a four year gap between between Disco Elysium being made and then Pentiment coming out, and it sort of feels like it's it's the sort of inspired by, and it's not like directly inspired by, but there's just like some lessons that sort of sneak through, and that's why like Pentiment is is really interesting. It doesn't have dice, which is the coolest thing. Yeah, I'm also just like thinking like tech. Like how Crusader Kings three, uh, interacts mm. on like a macro scale. Of like you control this one person, but you can fuck with everything. Yeah, and uh, the skill trees going back to an earlier conversation of like how that 
how Disco Elysium treats its skill trees and then how uh because you have like the trained moments and personality things you can do for mm. uh your character. And then Crusader Kings three, where you have like five main branch five sets, and then you have three branches in between that you can connect to to get like a whole bunch of skills. Maybe going to uh two different games that focus a lot on like the dice work itself. One's very obvious, one's the other one they kind of keep hidden a bit. Uh Citizen mm-hmm. Sleeper was another game I think you recommended to me. Or maybe I yeah. listened to a waypoint radio on it. Rest in peace. It probably, I mean, I listened to a waypoint radio and that's how I found out about it. Yeah. But yeah. Combination of both. Cause we both like to listen to the same things from time to time, but, yes. uh, citizen sleeper, the, the way they interact with dice mechanics and tabletop RPG is very different than both with Baldur's gate three and, and disco Elysium in that you already have your successes made for you throughout the day. Yeah. It just, you get to decide where you spend those successes. and Yeah, like you basically, to 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 explain this, the, the mechanics of Citizen Sleeper, is you have a bunch of six-sided dice. It's like dependent on how well you're feeling, like how mm-hmm. healthy you are. Um, and you will roll that many dice, and then you will know if you have a one, you'll know if you have a three, you'll know if you have a six or something, and then you will spend those basically wherever you need them. And there are like certain abilities that allow you to re-roll them, and stuff and there's checks that require you to roll high in order to make progress with them and then there's like hacking checks which require a low number and so that's like a really fun thing that you like choose where you're going to spend these dice and it's very much the how many spoons do you have to spend on doing tasks today you make progress on on little little clocks and you're trying to fill everything in in order to get like fun narrative moments yeah and i guess like one of the things that caught my interest about this game and how I interact with the dice is like, it made me think of what if you had a game where, you know, it's a bit of going back to how outward bound, uh, uh, outward bound has that energy pool for your stats. You put points and stats mm-hmm. according to how many dice you roll. And that's for your character in general. But yeah. What if you just rolled that? What if uh, you played a game where you roll a certain amount of dice uh, depending on certain skill sets and you set up these different pools and every interaction it's like okay i'm gonna pay out uh this dice i know this is a Hmm. this one requires like a 10 i'm gonna pay this four on a d4 and this uh six on a d8 to make that 10 to match that number that i need or you know, different things like that. What if you rolled those at like the beginning of the session or beginning of like an in-game day? And it's going to make me think yeah. about that as a pl- as a uh, actual play concept, essentially. Was- mm. I I've had this idea in my head for ages, which is the I don't know where I got it from. I feel like I've I've read it in a system or I got it from a video. Oh no, I got it from um Slay the Spire, which is uh, in Slay the Spire, mm-hmm. like your your dexterity and your strength is a resource mm-hmm. and so you get extra strength and you do extra damage and if your dex increases you can dodge easy and stuff like that and i would always love to like sort of see a game where you have like four in strength which means you can f- solve four problems today with strength before you need to rest and so you spend one point of strength to overcome it and all the rest of it and in the end you run out of points and so you have to rest or something and i've never done a system based on that but i've always like loved the idea of something like that where it is just you spending like strength resources or, or willpower resources or magic resources mm-hmm. in order to overcome problems. 
And it's something that a lot of tabletop RPGs don't really do. Like, it tends to be more fun to spend, like, roll dice than to say I spend these points to do it. But yeah, it's like an idea that's been floating on my head for ages. Oh, like, going on to that, though, it does, you know, the tokens of uh, no dice, no masters, belonging outside, belonging games, that's kind of Mm. what that is, too, in a sense. Maybe not to that degree of depth that would be strength and dexterity, but, you know. You uh, mm. and also you have to put yourself in dangerous situations in order to get those rewards in order to have that stamina to succeed in a situation. Which it's now it's a different it's a different adaptation of a similar system that I think would be would find its niche as well in the same way that belonging outside belonging games have. Mm. I agree. Like I love, I love the point spending thing of belonging outside belonging. I feel like a little bit weirdly restricted by it. Like mm-hmm. I've always preferred the way Good Society approaches like tokens, yeah. where you can spend them to make amazing things happen, or use them to to bribe other people to accept a a, a like not good consequence, and mm-hmm. how you're more free with how you do it. But again, I've never really felt the confidence of like the the diceless uh, tabletop RPGs to just like be able to run with it and really play with it because it, it feels difficult in my brain. Um, but I'm sure if I just sat down and like sort of properly thought about it, I could probably pull things together. I also, I also, uh, I want to talk briefly about how like Citizen Sleeper was made because I remember like reading some designs by the designer um, whose name is, I forget. I know the Twitter. <laughs> Gareth uh, Damien Martin. Gareth Damien Martin. That's the one. Uh, they basically uh, they were talking about how they made Citizen Sleeper Two, which hasn't been released yet, is based in development. Um, but they said that it was a they made it as like a tabletop RPG, and they changed some rules around, and they sort of like played a few things, and I think made some cards or something like this, and they sort of like very rapidly prototyped it by just like playing it as a as a, t- a TTRPG before seeing how it would work as uh as like a system i'm like i'm 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 thinking about like other games that maybe have tried that like i'm sure i've heard that crypts was it called uh in in inscription inscription was maybe started off like that maybe i'm misremembering that or like no that's true i think i feel like that's true because i know um folks were trying to basically make inscription physical and i think the creator said something about that yeah and i'm and and like one of the things that like i've i've heard a lot from ttrpg uh from from rpg designers uh, video game rpg designers is that like again it's really easy to do it as a pen and paper thing before jumping into making the game like it is so much easier to roll some dice and to write some rules and to do this thing instead of designing this whole thing on Unity or Unreal Engine 5 or some other system and seeing how it feels then. Like, I remember hearing at least one of the Fallouts, I don't know which Fallout, uh, basically had a pen and paper RPG where they basically played through the game in order to see how the quest would feel and they sort of changed it up like my gut says that might have been fallout new vegas but i could be wrong i know they originally based it on gurps which is a system Mm -hmm. it means something but it's it's like a very like loose system that can apply to anything and and some people play like fallout in that way 
And I'm very curious what the rules are for that. I know there is a Fallout tabletop RPG out there, but I want to see the ones that they played in preparation for the video game because I imagine the rules for that that board game, or that, that tabletop game, was very different to what ended up being the game because, again, it's very different to design for a, a, a tabletop game versus designing for a video game because video games work differently and they can count how much stuff you're carrying and stuff like that. And dice rolls don't apply to combat ever, really, in video games. It's yeah. just how well you shoot and how much damage you deal. And it's fascinating. Uh, GURPS, by the way, stands for Generic Universal Role-Playing System. It was built, developed and published, I should say, was published in 1986. Five score years ago. I don't know how many shit this score is, but, but it was a while ago. And I know that Fallout is very different to that in a lo- number of ways. And yeah, it's sort of it's sort of interesting because, like, I imagine even with Citizen Sleeper, the designing the 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 uh, tabletop version of the game would absolutely have limitations because, like, my understanding of Citizen Sleeper is the way it works is you spend ages just putting dice into different places, and only when you complete a project do you get any kind of narrative reward. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, you're just like placing dice around, seeing like things improve and then just going to sleep and then only when the thing is complete that you get like a you get to finalize it and you get like a little narrative beat as a reward um and i think that would be a tabletop as a tabletop game i don't know how much fun that would be yeah it would just be like we just sit quietly move your dice around we finish the thing mm-hmm. also how does it work with multiple players don't know anyway yeah i imagine it would be you would still take like the clock mechanic of you need to find work on resourcing to run errands in order to achieve mm. this group goal. Yeah. But like, and then rewarding with a narrative beat, eh, that could be a complication depending on like the successes. Maybe there's like a success tracker and, you know, I'm trying to figure out what would succeed and what would it look like? Did you succeed with complications? Did you steal stuff from folks? But you never succeed with complications in the, in a video game. Yeah which I've noticed. And the reason for that is it means you have to write three different outcomes rather than two. Mm-hmm. You either succeed or fail at a video game because that's easier than having a mixed success, which means you have to write, all right, fuck, I have to write like a third more game as a result of that, mm-hmm. which is, which I thought was a really funny thing to sort of like notice. Yeah. You can't do the mass effect thing where you can decide between three endings with no effort taken between them. Well, well, Mass Effect mastered it. They they knew how to do it. They just changed the colors a little bit. Same outcome. Fucking nailed it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. There's like a whole bunch of things in the back end, like translating and and writing and conceptualizing what a success versus a failure would be. And yeah, that's that's how that works, ultimately. And yeah, it's, a, it's sort of fun. And in like even like what you were outlining there about like playing, like different people playing this game... Like you were talking about having like multiple people mm-hmm. and stuff, and like that would be intriguing. But that is not Citizen Sleeper. That is like Citizen Sleeper is a very different animal to that. Yeah. And so if you spend all the time designing this game that wouldn't help your final game, then it's just like, oh, what's the po- what's the point? Yeah, Citizen Sleeper. Yeah, Citizen a, Sleeper felt, a, feels like a game. feels like a solo game. It feels like yeah, like a Starforged or a Swarm by Ghostlight in a sense. Yeah. And it's, like, again, most games are solo games. Like, even, like, massively multiplayer, the Momorg, Momorg, whatever they're called, 
the games that I don't play, mm-hmm. they are designed to be single player because it's very difficult because you can't really have like it's very difficult to do a Baldur's Gate three style party game where everyone makes different choices and stuff. Yeah. It's basically designed to be like one person, which is which is really fascinating. And especially because like I oftentimes uh, like sit down to like design some weird tabletop RPG thing. And then I'm just like, oh fuck, how do I make this a group of people rather than just one dude? You know, how do I <laughs> how do I change this? Like I, I I recently made a game called Let Justice Be Done, which is about like you're a consultant detective who comes across an impossible crime scene that has a very simple solution. And like partway through I was writing that and I'm like, oh fuck, how do you make this a group of consulting detectives rather than just one guy? <laughs> solving the crime and it's it's it was very fun to just be like okay now you're an agency now you're a group of people each with your own speciality working together it's kind of more like the wire where everyone has their job and they're like part of their like expertise or something and that was a fun little uh like reverse video game thing touching back on the fallout experience of like doing a pen and paper just to see how a quest would go it Mm -hmm. it is very this was like a very interesting thing that came up to me. And uh, if y'all are listening to a more civilized age, you'll know that the crew there are currently going through a, uh, pl- a playthrough of Knights of the Old Republic while uh, the strike mm. was ongoing. And they played, uh, what was fascinating to me is like, so Knights of the Old Republic is a game that was released back in 2004. And then another sequel came out in 2006 2007 somewhere around then for Knights of the Old Republic 2 and both were buggy as all hell uh PC mm-hmm. port for Knights of the Old Republic is even buggier than hell uh you have to play with a bunch of mods Knights of the Old Republic 2 play it with mods yep. but it comes out smoother at least and you can recover stuff that was never finished in that game because BioWare and LucasArts were going through a hellscape in that moment but they yes. They essentially took, did the, yeah, D&D can do everything idea and literally ran with it. The, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, the reason why that, this was kind of the starting point for the entire thought was, it was a uh, D&D 3.0 hack. But, and it's interesting to me to think about that game and then consider how different it is compared to... Uh, how people th- see Star Wars nowadays, because in Knights of the Old Republic 1, you start off as either a soldier, a scout, or a scoundrel. That's your three starting classes, and then you level up, you continue your quest, and you become a Jedi. Or in Knights of the Old Republic 2, you start as a Jedi, and then you get the Jedi uh, specialty class, essentially. But the classes that are in the game are, again, those three I mentioned before of uh, scout, scoundrel, soldier... You have two classes for droids, which are utility droid and then assassin droid, essentially, or a battle mm-hmm. droid of a kind. And the other... But no protocol droid. No protocol droid. C-3PO. Yeah. Which is a shame. And I remember looking this up on forums, just like, is there a Star Wars, like, 3.0 hack? Because I think it'd be fun to take oh, my t- current table to play that. And they were like... And there's a lot of discussion of, like, you could probably just figure it out from the game, but the game highlights that like it's way better to be a jedi than a- literally anything else i'm like, <laughs> I'm like yeah I'm like that's kind of fucking boring for me what if i don't want to be yeah. a jedi 
Although, having a C-3PO turn into a Jedi would be very funny. Uh, I think that would be sick. There is a Star Wars Visions of that, actually. Really? Yeah. I should check that there's out. A, there's a little, guy, uh, little droid boy who turns into, turns out to uh, be able to control the Force oh. and become a Jedi. Not like an R2-D2. Well, I mean, like, I want to have a little golden, I can only move my arms in certain uh, ways. It's not like that. It's not like an R2-D2. It's like a uh, Astro oh. Boy kind of animation. Uh, I want to have it be very clunky. That's important to me. That's fair. I think that's going to be the closest that we get because it's the style looks very much as if he is Astro Boy. Anyway, I interrupted. Please continue. <laughs> but no, that that was just the main thing I wanted to up was just like, yeah, it was just D&D 3.0 kit bash to look like Star Wars as much as humanly possible. Mm. And to progress the story to highlight that Jedi, I'm like, what if I... You know, I want to do the thing of like what Old Republic does, which is I want to be a bounty hunter. I want to be a uh, spy. I want to be a smuggler. Like, do I hmm. do I have the ability to do so? Do I have to be a Jedi in these games? And, you know, it's the whole thing of, well, if we don't want them to be a Jedi. We have to write more game. And again, this is mid 2000s. They're not going to write more game. They have a yeah. limited out run on this. I mean, even now, there's like it doesn't make sense to make that much of a flexible thing in like a AAA game. You have to like sort of limit their responses in that way. Yeah, smaller games can kind of get away with it because they're often designed to be smaller in scope. But yeah, that is that is the thing you cannot do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I that was just like my little fun bit of information to tag on at the end of this topic. Yeah, uh, for the most part, I I think overall I do find it really interesting when game designers start by looking at their game and saying, okay, how would this work in a tabletop RPG before we put it into our computer RPG? Okay. It would look like that. All right, let's try it out from there. Folks go to, or folks will start writing tabletop RPG supplements and games in order to be uh, supplements essentially. And then would go into narrative game design from there as well. Yeah, like, do you mean, like, designers who, like, tabletop RPG designers who become video game designers? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so interesting to me. Because, again, like, watching Austin Walker, Friends at Table, and how he has moved into video game design at, at Possibility Space. And then sort of slowly watching the people who get hired to work there, like uh, Avery Alder, who designed Quiet Year, works there. And I think Brendan McLeod works there, who did mm-hmm. Fathom, and a bunch of other things. And, like, seeing, like, again, people who who do small-scale projects, like, uh, various, like, what's that system called? I cannot think of it. But, like, interactive fiction on itch.io. Yeah. Like, things. Twine? Like, twine. That's the one I was looking for. I was thinking zine? No, that's not right. There's another way of saying zine. And, you know, various people who worked on um, sort of smaller-scale uh ttrpg mm. like i also know that like uh, we've talked about skyfarers which is made by uh grant howitt for a video game it's like this this weird mm-hmm. very small ttrpg adaptation of the fallen london setting and like knowing how he's kind of like intermingled with all that and how like things sort of like feed into different things and just like you know, it's a very porous thing, and I think, like, again, I'm a TTRPG designer who wants to get into video games, and it's sort of interesting to see that, like, yeah, this is, this works, like, this is, 
an easy way of like showing, oh, I can do this kind of thing that you're interested in. Like you want to figure out how to do a narrative design. Here's a table that is great <laughs> and I don't hate. <laughs> and um, seeing how people sort of tell stories that way. And so, yeah, I think there is a, there is a, a if you, if you, if you like designing games, you could probably get a, ga a game, a big job in the video game industry somehow. And then on the little outskirts of it and make your sort of way in. It's like a good thing to do. It's a good thing to practice. Yeah. And like a lot of people, a lot of video game people now saying, oh, if you want to become a game designer, just play D&D. &D. And it's like, don't play D&D. &D. <laughs> play better games. But I think D&D is great because it's like the mothership thing of just like, I wish this was better in specific ways. And that'll get you to an interesting point. But yes, that's what I will say. Yeah. As, and especially I will point out that I am working on a board game, which is kind of this weird computer board game prototype. And it's sort of interesting because, like, this is shit that I'm thinking about day to day because, like, playing a vampire the masquerade, um, writing a masquerade, vampire the masquerade game, and also knowing that, like, I'm not doing the game, I'm doing this this board game version of that, and like how I sort of fit into this thing because, like, what we we're talking about today is what I do f for this project, hmm. and it's sort of it's sort of interesting. I can't talk about much because I'm signing an NDA. But yes, there's some overlap between the things we're talking about and the, the, the work that I'm doing. So yes. Anyway, uh, any any further thoughts you want to say before we move on to shoutouts? Uh, no, nothing else, honestly. I think that's good for me. Okay, cool. Let's go on to shoutouts. Yeah. So, shoutouts is the segment where we talk about the things that we want to shout out. Cole, what would you like to shout out? Uh, shout out? Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't really have much going on. I guess the big background thing I can say are twofold. One is keep an eye out for more stuff for Kalascon. Uh, we are working our way through. Anticipate release, I'm going to say about mid-2024. Maybe uh, mm -hmm. like second quarter of it. And uh, I'm very excited for what we got going on. It's We're fucking hilarious and we make a fucking great show. I cannot wait for shit to pop off is the best way I yeah. can say it. And then Roll Plus Bond is in the background. We're working on preparing for our second anniversary. Or, I'm sorry. Third. Wow. Our fourth, fourth anniversary <laughs> of stuff. I'm, I was in one of them, so I know it's more than two. I was in the first two, and I supported the third. So, yeah, we're on our fourth. Uh, so yeah. keep an eye on the Roll Plus Bond X account. Uh, Twitter, really. For any updates yeah. towards that, and which I think is roll plus bond, yeah, roll plus at roll plus plus blah 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 roll plus roll plus bond. That's the one. I'm sorry. Roll plus bond. It's got a lot of P and B sounds. It really does. Plosives. Is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah. I think so. But yeah, yeah. So keep an eye out for stuff from roll plus bond or on my socials about that. Mm -hmm. And speaking of socials. If you've been paying attention to my socials, you'll notice I have been uh, broadcasting on my own channel a lot more for commentary and Rocket League matches. Please, if you want to check out any esports events, feel free to check those out on my channel. I will also pretty soon start uploading VODs of that to my own YouTube. I just have to edit them a yes. little bit. And, uh, I'm so excited for you to have a YouTube so I can watch that rather than watch it on, on Twitch. That's fair. I hate, <laughs> yeah. I hate watching re stuff on Twitch. It's so annoying. They're always pulling ads. Ugh. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's just like, 
there is a lot of moments in time where I have to go back and edit my sound because I am mm. loud on the recording on the uh, broadcast, but also, you know, it's not too powerful. And so I need to kind of fix it a bit. And I also need to make yeah. a, a couple cards, one for the opening, one for the end to cover both bases as an intro and outro yeah. on it. So, you know, that's in production first and then I'll get that out there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. What you got Mar- going on, Marley? Oh, so much. Again, I was thinking I was talking about last time that like I've I have I just work quietly for ages and ages and have nothing to announce. Then all of once I have like a billion things to announce. So first of all, let me start off with a thing I released a while ago, which is Salvage's Isle, which is a little uh, short little supplement for a game called Bump in the Dark, which I am incredibly proud of. It's basically very Alan Wake without me intending it to be Alan Wake. It like came out, like I, I made that, released it, played Alan Wake, and I'm like, this is the same vibes. This is the same shit that I love. Um, you're like monster hunters, kind of. You're kind of like people who turn up and monsters are happening and so you have to like deal with that um, on this remote island, which is the most remote national park in America. And you're there. There's a bunch of tourists, a bunch of rich people, a bunch of people working there. There's a cryptid that's also kind of Jaws. And so people are trying to catch this cryptid, trying to catch Bigfoot and also getting eaten by it. And so you have to sort of deal with that. You can get that for free, I think, off the page. There's one where like a, a strange fog comes in and with it a bunch of ghosts who are who are killed by by corporate cost cutting and and safety mishaps and stuff like that. Um, there's another one where a annoying tourist gets sacrificed uh, to a lake and 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 grant someone's wish and so you have to sort of like deal with that before everyone sacrifices everyone to this lake and it's a really fun thing i'm so proud of the art which i did myself i'm so proud of the map which is beautiful i think you can find it all over my twitter but also on the itch page um and then i also did another game which is called let justice be done which is about um as i said before you're you're a consultant detective in a world where consultant detectives exist and are believed in so there's a bunch of like um, Benoit Blancs and 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 I was gonna say Colombo. Colombo isn't he's a detective, he's just normal, or like Hokey Perot and stuff like that. And you appear at a at a, at a locked room mystery. The police are just like it doesn't seem like they could have been able to murder this person, but he he has been murdered. And you go in there, you investigate the crime scene, and very quickly you determine that it was an accident. The person just fell on a knife because they ran too quick. But you have an opportunity because there's a bunch of other people in this building, all his closest friends who all suck. We're all terrible, rich people who who've done countless crimes that they've gotten away with because they're rich and because all the rest of it. And so if you play this right, you can get all of them charged with the same Mm -hmm. murder that they didn't do. And so the whole thing is just basically, um, you, you make up a crime, you like pick up real evidence, you modify real evidence you you get the right testimonies and stuff like that, and you sort of twist it until you get to a point where you have enough clues to just be like, "All right, here is what really happened," and everyone will deny it. Said, "I didn't do this. This didn't happen," and they they they're, they're telling the truth. But you can get them done, and you and 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 you can arrest all these rich people for crimes they didn't do, uh, for crimes they did do, but convict them for crimes they didn't. It's it's fun. Um, I think the core rules are currently available on my my itch account. It is uh, minorlenahan.itch.io. 
um, and it's called Let Justice Be Done. Core rules are there, and then if you want to get any mysteries, you pay a little bit extra and get it for like five bucks or something. Nice. Um, you can also you can also get it at a, a bundle. There is a bundle that I'm a part of, which is Brennan McClaw fundraiser, which is Help Pulo Beat Cancer RPG Bundle. But for twenty bucks, you can get access to a bunch of different RPGs, including Let Justice Be Done and a bunch of other things that I've worked on, along with a bunch of whole bunch of really great games by Brennan McClaw and. Um, Caro Sertion and Devin Decibel and a bunch of other people. So be sure to support that. But itch.io slash B slash 2135 slash help hyphen pullo hyphen beat hyphen cancer hyphen RPG hyphen bundle um, in order to support a good cause and also get some cool games. Um, I'm also a part <laughs> of Games for Gaza, which is one of the biggest RPG bundles, I think, in the history of of itch.io mm. which is supporting people who are desperately in need of help in gaza you can find most of my games but not let justice be done because i released let justice be done afterwards but otherwise if you support that you can get access to a lot of games and support a lot of a lot of people who are in need because the gaza situation has gotten worse in the past month and a bit yep and i really hope people are helping them out and doing what they can and writing to their representatives and doing all that good stuff. I heard that writing letters and sending faxes is good, according to a, a tweet I saw. And finally, the very last thing that I can think of, we'll see how I go. There is a game called Strange Squad. It is about investigating uh, occult mysteries and doing like, it's sort of like X-Files mixed with Hellboy. Everyone gets strange abilities. Everyone has strange little, little things they're good at. And they go to towns and investigate mysteries. And I've written one of these mysteries called Code V, which is basically Salem's Lot, but the the background for it is what if what if the vampire in Salem's Lot was was a lady who was just who has like a hallmark Christmas movie situation going on where she falls in love with a small town and she's like I'm gonna make a family, but she's a vampire so she's starting a vampire family and you have to stop her or help her um, entirely up to you. And so if you want to support that, I think if you go to my social media, you'll be able to see me sharing it. But it's Strange Squad. Um, on Kickstarter, and it's, and it's by S. Murphy Games. It has a Kickstarter name. I'll read it out. I did that before, which is kickstarter.com slash projects slash S hyphen Murphy hyphen games slash Strange Squad in order to get access to it. It is so close to being funded, and I'm so excited for that. And currently, if you want to read my game, the only way of doing that is by supporting this game. You can get it digitally or in print. Um, but if you want to find the system, that's available on itch.io, which is smurphygames.itch.io, I believe. So that is my many things that are all happening at once. I'm also working on a Vampire the Masquerade board game right now. I'm right in the middle of it. It's really intense. Mm -hmm. And yes, that is everything, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot, but also, you know, it's it shows that you are consistently putting good works out and that you are putting out yeah. stuff people like. So it's huge. Yes, I'm... I, I, yes, I'm glad people like it. I do wish I could work less because I'm a workaholic and I got to work on that. That's another thing I have to work on. Can you believe it? Shit. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Just when I thought I got out. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, you need to work out of that. Mm. Um, so yes, this was Inside the Table, a tabletop RPG talk show. And thank you very much for listening.
I was Cole. You can follow me at Ice Cold Brew, and my pronouns are he, him, they, them. No, that's not true. <laughs> just didn't cheat the No, if we want to roll with that, hi there. I was. <laughs> you were joined today by Marley. Uh, you can follow me on social media. Uh, sorry, I am Ice Cold Brew. Uh, you can follow me at social media at uh, linktour.ee slash Ice Cold Brew. And I was joined today by the host. Marley, you can follow me at Menara underscore Lenahan, and my pronouns are he, him. You can also follow me uh, at linktour.ee dot ee slash menar lenahan is it menar underscore lenahan or menar lenahan i don't remember hold on we can find it out by one easy type yeah uh link to minor underscore minor underscore lenahan you can follow this podcast. <laughs> and you can follow this podcast. I'm going to do it. I'm back. <laughs> I'm back, baby. Uh, you can follow this this podcast on the social media site x otherwise known as twitter at inside the table um, you can follow all our social media sites, all our social medias, including Blue Sky, co-host a little bit, I guess, uh, Hive, I don't think we're on Hive, at linktur.ee slash inside the table. Um, be sure to review on Apple Podcasts and the other podcast things, because people have been saying Google Podcasts now, and I, I guess that's important. Don't know. Review. Say nice things. Tweet about us. I always like receiving tweets. They have more, more fun. Mm-hmm. Send me a nice tweet, please. Or if you have any questions, please send them in to insidethetable at gmail.com. And if you want to speak to us personally, don't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, uh, you can you can join uh, us at the at our Discord by joining next table. What do we call it? What do we fucking call? Uh, seat at the table. Yeah, seat at the table. Where you can you can you can support us for four dollars ninety nine and join our Discord and vote on podcast stuff. And yes, if you enjoyed this podcast, who should they recommend it to, Colonel? Uh, they should reckon. Uh, recommend it to a big video game company, specifically one that's in the middle yeah. of making an IP to get some ideas from, you know? Maybe even credit yeah. us for it and, you know, ask us to come on as consultants. That'd be nice. I would love coming in as a consultant. Yeah. yeah, pay me for consultancy. That's apparently a really lucrative job if you're a former game journalist. Yeah. So do it for us. And yes, we rely solely on word of mouth to advertise it. So please tell people about the episode if you liked it. Tell people recommend it and share it on social media. And it's really cool. And we'll share it. Every day is five star Friday here at Inside the Table. If there's a game you like, go out and give it a five star rating on itch or just share it around. And again, give it a nice shout out on social media because it's a really good way of getting around. Uh, So without any further ado, goodbye. Goodbye. Fairly well. Take care. I'll see you on the the flip side. God be with ye. And with your spirit. And we should clap.